Episode 7 Wake Up This is Casey James. I don't know where exactly I am. I don't know what's going on. There's a lot I don't know. But I'm going to figure it out. I open my eyes to the plush upholstered seats and the rattling sway and chatter of an old-fashioned train carriage moving through mountainous scenery. I have no idea how I got here. We stopped in the woods on the way back into Kingsport and burned the book. Normally I'd cry sacrilege at the idea of burning a book, even a deeply unpleasant one, but this book, I don't know. It made my skin crawl just touching it. So we burned it. And then, I'm not sure what happened then. Ariel is sitting across from me. She blinks at me, and it isn't her after all. Just a woman, grey-eyed, wearing a scarf and a pale dress. I think it's blue, but I can't be sure. Every time I look, the colour seems to be slightly different. You can't keep on like this she says in Ariel's voice. I know, I mutter, although I'm not sure what it is exactly that I know. The woman across from me blinks again, then looks down at the magazine in her lap, politely pretending that she didn't hear me. I look out the window. The scenery is gorgeous but unfamiliar. There are patches of woodland and fields, meadows really, just lush green grass and flowers. There is something about the trees, though, they're too evenly spaced, too regular, like a metronome. Something in the back of my brain is screaming, and I don't know why. I just know that I don't like it. I am not prepared for it when the train arrives at the station. It's one of those small countryside stations, just a platform in the middle of nowhere, and a small building that probably contains a ticket office on the few occasions when it's open. It isn't open right now. A faceless conductor comes and ushers me and the woman sitting across from me off the train. I mean that, literally, he has no face, just a blank expanse of pale skin, no eyes or mouth, no nose, a fleshy mask underneath his old-fashioned red velvet cap. I am so startled by that, and not a little creeped out as well, that I lose track of the woman who is not Ariel, as I let him herd me off the train, rather than letting him touch me. She's not on the platform when I look around. No one is. It's just me. The train closes its doors and rattles off seconds later. And then it really is just me on the platform. 
And me, says Deacon, standing beside me. I startle and nearly fall off the platform. I swear he wasn't there a second ago. For a moment, I imagine that it's Eddie's voice, but it isn't. For that matter, I don't think I spoke out loud, and he still answered me. Hey, hey, easy, he says. You're okay. You are okay, Casey? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay, I say. What else can I say? No, I am not okay. I'm scared and confused and... You weren't there a second ago, and where did you even come from? My paranoia tells me that wouldn't go down well. Or maybe it would. Maybe it would amuse him. Since there's a better than 50% chance that this is not, in fact, Deacon. You know that this isn't real, he says. I shrug. I don't know that. Not for sure. But it seems likely. In the field next to the platform, a pure white rabbit hops out from under a shrub, and then freezes. It looks directly at me with gleaming black eyes like shiny buttons. I stare at it, and it just stares back, waiting. No, I say. I suppose that is one way to do it, says Deacon. If you're certain that it's as real as anything else. Advanced in aeronautics, though. No, I say again to the rabbit. I'm not Alice. There's silence for a second. Then Deacon says, Oh, I see. Interesting. But you don't want to take the invitation? I'm almost certain that it isn't a smart idea, I say. None of this is, says Deacon. Hasn't stopped you yet. He's not wrong. Even if he's not actually Deacon, it doesn't change that he's not wrong. If, if there are weird potions labelled drink me, you can have them. I tell him. Deacon grins. The rabbit waits for us to climb down off the platform. Then it leads us off across the field. There is no question that it's leading us somewhere. It lopes off very deliberately and pauses every so often for us to catch up. I feel like a real Disney princess or something. There isn't really a road as such, but after a while we are following a dirt track through the fields, like a sheep track. It's surprisingly steep and winding, given the fields look mostly flat. They're not. I feel a pang of sympathy for whatever sheep or goats normally pasture here, and I wonder if their feet get as sore as mine are getting. After what must be a couple of miles, the rabbit leads us off the path and into one of those patches of woodland. 
there's a stone wall beside the track, right near a huge old elm tree, and the rabbit goes right under the wall through a gap of some sort. I hesitate for a second, then I climb over the wall instead. There are lines, and crawling through a rabbit-sized hole in a stone wall is one of mine. I don't know that I'd even fit through the gap, and I'm certain that Deacon wouldn't, with his broader shoulders. He laughs, as if I've spoken out loud, <laughs> although I know I didn't. The woodland is rough, full of briars and undergrowth, but we don't have to go far, as it turns out. The rabbit stops only a short way in, next to a cave mouth. A shadowed crevice in the rocks of the small hill this woodland is growing on, overgrown with shrubs and creepers. Beside it is a shallow rock pool, and a small stone statue of a dog, standing rigid and uncanny in its perfection. Every detail is rendered in perfect grey stone, like something 3D printed at the highest resolution you can imagine, every hair lying exactly so. The damn thing has eyelashes, for God's sake. That isn't a statue, says Deacon. No, I say. I am looking around warily, although I honestly don't know what I'm looking for. The dog doesn't look like it was guarding anything, or even frightened. It looks as though it had just taken a drink of water and looked up. There are flowers growing around its feet. Small blue things that open wide, like stars, or eyes. Their centers are black and shiny, like the rabbit's button-bright eyes, too. The rabbit is nowhere to be seen now. You think it was leading us here? I ask, although it's a bit of a daft question. I know the answer already. Looks like, says Deacon. Under his words, I hear a sort of echo inside my head, in Walker's voice. Looks like... It makes me feel a little bit better. So, we should look inside, I say. It is with a sense of dread that we crawl into the cave mouth. It's low enough and narrow enough that we have to crawl on hands and knees to get in although not as small a gap as the one under the wall was. Deacon insists on going first. Once inside, the grotto expands out on all sides to form a damp, twilight chamber floored with rubble and detritus. As my eyes adjust to the dimness, I can make out a recumbent figure on the other side of the cave. Deacon gets out his flashlight, but he hesitates and doesn't switch it on. 
I turned to look at him, although I can barely make out his face in the dimness of the cave. What if they're sleeping? He says quietly. Well, then they'll be less creeped out by a light than they will by two people whispering in the dark, I say. They might wake up. He switches on the flashlight, though, and after a second with no response, turns it on the figure lying at the other side of the cave. It is a statue, made of the same pale grey stone as the dog outside. The same stone, it occurs to me, as the statues of David and Leanne had been in the crypt in the woods. There is nothing else in the cave, except for a single plant growing in the brightest corner of the cave, under a drip of water. It's a vaguely ferny looking thing, but it has a single flower blooming, blue as blue eyes, with a shiny button black centre. I open my eyes. I open my eyes, and there are eyes staring into mine. Blue eyes, like those sky-blue flowers, gleaming and bright as the rabbit's button-black eyes staring at me like a puzzle or an experiment. Not even cruel, just cold and curious. I, I gasp a sudden breath as if I hadn't been breathing at all, for all I know I hadn't been. It takes me a few seconds to comprehend where I am or what's going on. I am, I am lying on a sort of chaise lounge, the sort of thing that I think used to be called a fainting couch once upon a time, with with people in, in long black hooded robes gathered all around me. The owner of the terribly blue eyes is one of them. We are, we are not indoors. I think we are still somewhere in the middle of the woods, outside Kingsport. In a clearing, to be specific, I can see the shadowy shapes of trees all around, but Above me, there's a clear patch of sky. I can hear murmuring from the robed figures, and the chant is becoming oddly familiar to me, so much so that I can pick out specific words, maybe even names, not that I'm going to repeat them. No, that wouldn't be wise, murmurs Walker in the back of my brain. I think, I think it says something about the last few days that I am actually relieved to hear his voice, even if it's in my head. Where have you been? I mutter as quietly as I can. I'm around, he says. Just keeping a low profile. I thought you were going to help me find another way out, 
I mutter. I can't do too much with all the big fish swimming around, he says, still inside my head. Not until you get yourself into the deeper dreaming. But I can help with this. Sure, I mutter. That, that would be great. The cultists around me have started moving, just walking in circles around the edge of the clearing, but it's deliberate and strange and creepy. Makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. They're chanting, too. That same chant, but louder now. Who, what are they calling, I ask. I'm certain that they're calling something, invoking it maybe, probably not something I want to meet. Just get up, now, and go, says Walker. Quietly, they're not paying attention. He's right. All of the robed figures are looking away from me. Even the one who was staring into my eyes a second ago. I get up, although I have to stand there for a second, lightheaded, before I can move. Then I carefully, quietly, creep out of the clearing and into the woods. I walk for a few minutes before I feel safe enough to think about anything other than being quiet and moving quickly away from whatever weird cultists have found me this time. Which, if I'm actually recognizing the chanting, are probably the same cultists as before. What's going on? I murmur, aiming the question at Walker and hoping he's still around to answer. Who are those people? Dracula, says Walker's voice in my head. You need to find some stairs, Casey, says Ariel, who is suddenly walking beside me. And stop drawing the pale man's attention before you wake up. It's not on purpose, I say. Ariel smiles at me. And for just a second, I think I see something other than a dark-haired, static-eyed, translucent woman. For that brief instant, she has eight legs and a body like a deer, with a scorpion tail and a human face plastered like a mask over something infinitely more horrible. I look away. You're the gatekeeper. He was always going to be interested. Better if he doesn't find out yet, though. Just try to keep a low profile. Bad enough to have Noel Azatev's attention. You had to say his name, mutters Walker. And then I feel him withdraw 
into the quiet space at the back of my brain. Chaos can be helpful, says Ariel, fading into the darkness as she speaks. Just be careful, Casey James. You still have my anchor. I hear voices calling my name. Casey! That's Deacon. I debate if I should respond. Casey! And another voice joins his. Casey! Constable Delaney. Casey! 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 They call. Casey! And there are flashlights bobbing in the dark among the trees a little way off. Casey! Here! I call back. I'm here! And I head towards the lights. When I reach them, or they reach me really, there's another man with them. I don't recognize him, although in Kingsport that doesn't mean much. But he's a bit scruffy looking and he's wearing overalls smudged with mud around the knees and ankles. Oh, thank goodness, there you are, Casey, says Deacon. I thought they got you. You thought, what? Who? What happened? I ask. We thought Ehrlichan and his thugs had taken you hostage, says Constable Delaney. I stare at him for a second. No, I say. I mean, I don't think so. Why, why would he? My name wasn't in the book. Then I bite my tongue because I'm not supposed to have seen the book. Then you still have the book? Figure Morris gave it to you before that thing got him. Smart move on his part, calling you to come over for it. N no I say, giving Deacon a confused look. It's okay, Casey, he says. I told the constable that Morris asked us to take care of it for him. But I guess those people who grabbed you took it, right? It takes me a few seconds, but I'm not completely dim. I nod. Yeah, they must have done, I say. I don't really know. I, I just woke up in a clearing with a bunch of cultists. Or, I mean, people in hooded robes, they looked like cultists. They must have taken the book while I was unconscious. I am not the world's best liar, but Constable Delaney wasn't really listening. People don't when you tell them something that they already think is true. So what did happen? I ask. Someone jumped us in the dark, says Deacon, watching me far too intently and grabbed you before I could do anything. I went for help and found Leon here in the graveyard, just setting up for tomorrow's funerals. He's the gravedigger. The scruffy-looking man with the muddy overalls nods at me, so I nod back. He doesn't say anything, though. We went back to the old lodge and found Constable Delaney, adds Deacon. Then we started looking for you. Oh, I say. Well, thanks for finding me. 
You do seem to be good at getting out of complicated situations, Casey, says Deacon. It's only now that I notice that he isn't wearing the snake headdress anymore. I don't have the jar anymore either, although I think I remember leaving that downstairs in the forest in the basement. Honestly, I'm surprised I'm as together as I am after all of this. You have lost your... Mm, I say, gesturing vaguely at my own head to indicate the headdress that he isn't wearing. Deacon grins at me, that cheerful college kid smile that implies butter wouldn't melt in his mouth and says, Oh, I left that in the basement. Thought it might help having something of Kaziah's there. I eye him sideways. He just smiles. Well, you kids should get on back into town now, says Constable Delaney. Shame about the book, but you can never be too careful with criminals of this sort, sending wild beasts in to attack people. I'm just glad you're all right, Miss James. So am I, says Deacon. Come on, Casey. Let's go home.